All right. Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. This week, we deal with the huge book of Obadiah, the massive. Yeah, you're going to need to pack a lunch to read this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So when you read Obadiah and you have a ton of questions, send them to Pastor Mark at... So, yeah, head to our website, parkhillschurch.com, or the Park Hills Church app on all the app stores, and you'll be able to find more of this content. And as we walk through the Bible in a year, it's fun little books like Obadiah that uh, allow us to think some of this stuff through. So, check it out. As I move through the Old Testament in my reading, uh, especially over the last few years, because I do a Bible in a year plan every couple of years, basically, and every time I do so, I'm amazed at how dysfunctional the family of Abraham ultimately becomes. (laughs) And that's a big part of what's happening in this book, right? I mean, there's this this issue with Edom, but when you when you're reading things like this, what I would love to start with with Obadiah is just when you read a name like Edom or you read a name like Moab or Ammon, and we've talked about this a little bit in the podcast, go back and find where it came yeah, from. where they've sent it from. And then that'll help start to set some of the tone, won't it? Yeah, we've got a little, uh, a few clues that pop up in this one, and it's House of Esau. So we got Esau. You go back and say, okay, well, who is Esau again? Remember, that's Jacob's brother or right. Israel's brother, the, the one who uh, traded his birthright mm-hmm. foolishly and who, um, remember, Jacob deceives his father and steals that birthright and Cooks up his mom cooks up the food. He gets gets some fur to put on his arm. Apparently, Esau was a very hairy man because that was enough to trick his father. Even though he wasn't quite, you could tell that you know Isaac was like, "What's going on here? Something's a little funny." But boy, that's good food. The whole story has made, never made any real sense to me because there's no way anyone's that hairy, or if they are, that's crazy. Or second, there's no way that Isaac's that blind or dumb. But apparently, he is. Well, yeah, he even says, you know, your voice is not like, your voice is like that of Jacob. But right. Anyway. It's just strange, right? Yeah. So when Israel is getting ready to move into the land, they have to pass by Edom. And so when we go to Israel in January of next year, we will actually stand at one point near, uh, really it's the edge of, of the Jordan. So when you're at the Dead Sea and you look up, or if you're at John's baptismal site, which I know you were baptized mm-hmm. there, uh, or Masada, we're going to overlook the mountains of Moab and the mountains of Edom. And so it's basically right there. So as Israel's passing along and getting ready to go into the promised land, they have to go past Edom. And they ask for passage, and Edom says no. Yeah. And this book is ultimately the response in some ways to that, that issue, right? Edom's not really taking care of their brother. Their response is pretty negative, and so God speaks to Obadiah and kind of gives a curse. Yeah, there's a, there's going to be sin. There's going to be punishment. You know, it isn't it astounding how significant that birthright 
was. Yeah. I mean, wow, you, you really got the bad end of the deal there, Esau, and it just seems to be getting worse. And, oh, yeah, you don't want to let us through? Um, yeah, that's that's not going to work real well for you. Crazy. To be violent against Israel? Shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. Those are strong words. Very strong. Or, you know, verse 2, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. Uh, they don't exist, as far as I know, anymore. So, you know, they, they, they get real small. Um, it just doesn't work out for them at all. And so this whole book is full of that, right? It's just this idea of you've committed violence against Jacob, and while it didn't necessarily lead to Jacob not flourishing, I am going to deal with you in the way that they were dealt with. So it starts to show you that as, you know, as we just finished the Kings a few weeks ago and as we read through parts of that and we get to some of these strange prophets, which is really what we're doing the next couple of weeks is looking at a couple of the prophets that may be well-known or may not be well-known, you start to break down that the story itself is feeding into these prophecies, these individuals. This is personal for them. Yeah. So whereas we don't really think much of the Edom-Jacob issue, right, or the Edom-Israel issue, it's been feeding since Genesis, you know, what, 32, right, is where it starts. And then it, it just kind of keeps bleeding all the way to the point where we get to Obadiah. And really the idea is God is with the Israelites and the rest of the nations around them seem to not believe that. Or they think, well, I'm just as good as they are. What's the big deal? And they forget it's not really about who's, who's a big deal or who's not a big deal. It's about the fact that God is trying to tell a story through Israel. And if you stand in the way of that, he's going to then give you something for it. You're going to get some type of curse, it's, and it's kind of crazy. And it makes it, it makes it all the more pertinent that we are aware of what the warnings are and of what, what Scripture says. I mean, saying here, the house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame, Joseph his son, uh, and the house of Esau stubble, Mm-hmm. And they shall burn them and consume, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. There's no remnant there. It's no, and this is for the Lord has spoken. It's like, um, well, you don't you don't want to be on the wrong end of the Lord's judgment. No. No, which really leads then to this question of, okay, so what does that mean for us? Because I'm not an Edomite, right? Like when I read this book, I I, I read it and I just go, well, that's nice. Uh, this is a feud that started centuries before Jesus even lived. And at the time that Obadiah is being written, we're, we're again centuries before. What's the big deal? Why does this even matter? And I think for me, one of the things that I read in, in this is, do you want to be a part of the story that God is telling or do you want to be adversarial to it? And when I look at our culture and I think about you know some of the conversations we've had about Things just seem like they're getting nuts, and they feel like they're getting nutsier and nutsier, if those were words. I know I'm making those up, but it's more fun to say it that way. It is. It's, it's colorful. But, but if you're there and you're going, this is crazy, and I don't know why everyone's so adversarial against Christianity, for example, or I, it, it feels like we're on the wrong end of some of these arguments. But the Bible's pretty clear, no matter how bad it gets for you, you know, if even if your, your cousin, that's Edom, doesn't let you pass— you got to hold true to what you're supposed to be doing and I'll take care of things in the end. Yeah, it'll be okay. 
So Obadiah's prophecy has actually uh, been loved by some of the Jews. And it's principally from Obadiah that they learn to apply the name of Eden, or Edom to Rome. Right? And so Edom then stands as sort of a typical word or description or a name for the deadliest foes of the house of Israel. So it kind of becomes incorporating it. And, and so now you've got this larger group of people, and it kind of speaks to what you were just speaking about too, is that these enemies of Israel or these enemies of uh, our faith um, in Christ, it's like uh, they are many, and yeah. the followers of Christ are few. And so there's, you're like, even when you're loving and even when you're presenting the truth as clearly as you can, you're just hated because you're a follower of Christ. Yeah. And God's promises are going to be fulfilled. Right. Whether whether you like it or not, Esau or Edom, it, it's going to go the way uh, of God's purposes ultimately being accomplished. You know, you get to verse 19. Those of the Negev, that's, that's a part of Israel, shall possess Mount Esau. And those of the Shvela, which is just right outside the Negev, shall possess the land of the Philistines. And they shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And I, I know that we're all tracking with all of these names, right? Because we, yeah. we know Israel so well that, <laughs> you know, I study maps and I'm still looking at this going, I don't totally know exactly what we're talking about. But the last part there, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in the Shepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Survivors will go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And so speaking right to what you just said, yes, Rome fits this analogy. Is Assyria fits this analogy. You know, Babylon fits this analogy. Uh, There are times where, unfortunately, America fits this analogy, Mm -hmm. right? You you look at uh, some of the Muslim Brotherhood and some of the crazy things that are happening with terrorist organizations around the world. They fit this analogy. People who are raging against the plan that God has. But the, the truth of Obadiah at the end there is the same truth that we can hold to today. There is a day coming when survivors shall go up to Mount Zion and the rule will be once and for all. And Jesus will be in charge. And when that happens, uh, we can celebrate and be excited and joyful. But in the meantime, we have to understand we are in enemy territory. Yep. But the pride of the evil and the deceived will be their downfall. And that pride goes before a fall. And our kingdom is the Lord's. Amen. Amen.